On today's podcast, we've got Decker Heggy, actor, Burt Knuckle Fighting Champion, author, and now mentoring people and speaking about mental health issues. So, what level of fighting did you achieve then? Uh, well, like I say, thanks for having me, guys. I'm really humbled to be here. Um, thanks for coming on. I never really boxed at any level mm. through my whole life. Um, I was a cocaine addict for 10 years, from the age of 19 till I was 29. Mm. So, I never got to any standard of boxing because I never really stepped foot in a boxing gym. I'd maybe go to the odd training session, do a bit of pad work, yeah. but I didn't consistently go to a boxing club. So um, I didn't really fight at any level. I fought um, unlicensed boxing, but what happened with the unlicensed boxing was I was getting paid £500 a fight, and I was only doing that to feed my coke habit. Mm. I just loved to tear up, but it wasn't the really... I wasn't doing it for the love of the sport. I was doing it because I like to sniff the coke, and um, that's how I got into it. And then really... I got clean in 2013 and then I took up uh, bare knuckle fighting and I found with having a good chin, which I found out through the years from getting punched, um, I took up bare knuckle fighting and that became my love. And that kind of gave me the focus and strategy to move forward in a positive way and get clean from the drugs. So you've got some really intense stories. Um, before we get to all that stuff though, you've got quite a distinct accent. So where, whereabouts did you grow up? Cumbria, Carlisle, Cumbria. yeah, yeah. The um, halfway to Scotland. It is on the border, just right, but probably six mile off Gretna. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Carlisle, born and bred. So do you know our Glasgow guests then, like Johnny Boy Steele and Ian, I've, I've, Ian Blink's coming yeah, in two days I've, time? Um, I've, like I said, I was, I was binge watching your your podcast for the last two days, and I've seen all the characters and the people that you've had on them. So you know Chet and yeah. the tax man. Brian, yeah. Like I say, I read Brian's book um, and very interesting story, especially as a young lad growing up. I mean, I knew about Brian when I through my early 20s. You know, you just hear the names and like Lenny McLean and people like that. So growing up near Scotland then, is it was it like, like they described us in the Glasgow stories they told us in these housing estates? Was it like that? or? Yeah, I mean, where I'm from, Harraby, it was really rough when I was young. Really, and like I said, my father's a, a was a well-known hard man in the town at the time, and um, there wasn't where where I'm from. There wasn't a lot of knives like with Glasgow with the knife crimes. Yeah, in Carlisle, you never got the knife crime. It was Carlisle's a, a known very hard town for having a square go, for having a straightener, and you get a lot of really tough men that have come out of Carlisle. Um, yeah, and I know quite a few of them. I know quite some of them, but uh, like I said, everybody, like I've always said with the hard men, usually hard men respect hard men. You've got that mutual respect between each other, so you don't really see them ever coming to blows. A lot of hard men, you hear the stories, and sometimes they were bullied when they were kids. Yeah. What was it like for you when you was a kid? Yeah, I um, I was I was bullied, yeah. I was bullied through a, gr a group of lads, about five of them, and I was about 11, 12 years old. From the age of 11 till I was like 13, 14, um, I'd be targeted by this group of lads. You know the school discos that you used to have when you're a kid, yeah. <laughs> and um, they would run into the discos and they would beat me up and headbutt me. And um, at the time, I didn't have the bottle, I didn't have the fight in me. But growing up, I heard stories of my father being a tough man, 
So, you know, like I used to sit at the top of the stairs in the bedroom and my dad had come in from the pub with his mates <laughs> and I'd hear all the stories about them having fights in the pub and stuff. And I kind of, when I was getting bullied, I kind of had this pressure to live up to my dad's standard. Mm-hmm. And I just felt under pressure constantly. And when I was getting bullied constantly, what happened was um, I used to come home and I used to watch the governor, a, a VHS tapes then, called The Governors, Lenny McLean, yeah. Roy Shaw, Don of the Ball Adams, people like that, Cliff Fields. And um, I used to watch them and, and I would admire, I wouldn't admire the violence, I would admire Lenny McLean became an idol of mine. And um, I, had, I used to admire the way they took care of business, the way with Bad Gypsy Bradshaw when he's stamping on his head in the ring. And I used, and I was so fixated on it. I became obsessed and I used to say, I used to say, do you know what? When I'm older, I want to be the governor. I'm going to become the toughest man in Britain. I'm going to be the governor. Just a stupid little dream as a kid. So when I'd go to school, the teachers would be like, what do you want to be, Derek, when you're older? Do you want to be a footballer? Do you want to be a rugby player? I said, no, no, I want to be the governor. What's the governor? The toughest man in Britain. <laughs> but that was just a little dream that I had as a kid. Not thinking it would ever come true or that I would ever be in that in that category or named in the same breath as these people. You planted the seed in your head, though. But, yeah. And you let it grow. Yeah. And it's, you know what it is, mate? It's, I'm a firm believer in positive thinking and laws of attraction. When I think something, make them thoughts become a reality. Mm-hmm. And I always say, in any sport or any, any, anything in life, in a job, as a father, as a mother, become obsessed with that role and it will come true because you're so dedicated to yeah. achieving that. And that's what I believe in. Be the best you can at what you're doing. Yeah. But then as you rise up, people get jealous and there's envy. And we're going to get to the internet trolling perhaps a little bit more later on. Yeah. Let's, let's just go through your early years. So um, how are you doing in school as a kid? Do you know what? I was a bit of a mischievous fella. <laughs> I was a bit mischievous. Do you know what? And even now, I never consider myself as a hard man. If the thing is, I always say, especially with hard men, people give you that title. You don't give it yourself, No, you? no. And, and I always play it down because at the end of the day, mate, there's always a harder man around the corner. In every walk of life, there's always somebody harder. And when I was a kid, you know, I wasn't really known as a fighter or, I mean, I got bullied. When these kids weren't really a couple of years above me at school, they didn't really bully me in school. It was out. In the, like, discos and the night time and... Um, they used to call me names, they called me fatty, and what happened was it kind of affected my mind because what happened as I got into my later teens and my early 20s, I had body dysmorphia mm. from being called fat. So what happened then, I became ashamed of my body. Mm. So if I ever met a girl, I would never, ever take my top off in front of her. I would always have to have the light on because I just have the light off because I just felt ashamed. And that was due to the bullying. So when I was at school, with all that going on, I was kind of very mischievous, like I would... I mean, chuck pencils at the teachers, cause trouble. Bit mis- but I wasn't, like, really bad. I just did stupid things. But I always put it down to what I was going through as a kid with the bullying. It kind of, like, had a domino effect in the rest of my life. Yeah. And in your exams and stuff like that, were you any good? Did you no, have interest in any of the subjects? No, I never. Do you know what? The only subject that I was ever interested in was geography. Mm. And even today, now I'm into all the capitals of the world <laughs> and the capital of this country and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but the only thing 
is. I'm, I'm good at, I was good at geography with the capitals of the worlds, but I was shit at reading a map. Mm. I still can never read a map. <laughs> so was there a point then where you turned it around with the bullies? I was, yeah, when I was 15 years old. What happened? What, what caused you to step up? Um, well, I'd been I'd been fixated with Lenny McLean for what two two and a half year. Perhaps for, for people who don't know who Lenny McLean is, can you just give us a bit more of an explanation? Yeah, Lenny McLean in the late seventies and early eighties and nineties was the governor. Um, in London, the governor you classed as the man, like the man, like when you're in jail, you got the daddy yes. of the jail. Well, Lenny McLean was the man of the um. The un, it's like like unlicensed fighting, bare knuckle fighting. He was a bare knuckle fighter, and um, he was the man in them days. And uh, obviously, his book, The Governor, which a lot of people have read, um, he became my idol when I was a kid. People say, "Well, well that's I mean, a footballer wasn't your idol, an actor wasn't." Your, no, Lenny McLean was my idol because he was kind of the first person I seen with violence, like apart from the bullying. You know, your, your family, when you're a kid, they don't let you watch 18 movies and action films. So the only violence I ever seen was from the Lenny McLean beating the shit out of people. I always thought street fighting was for, like, gypsies until I actually watched and seen Lenny McLean on, on the movies yeah. and that. And I realised that. I thought it was like a gypsy sport, you know what I mean? Because you do get that, yeah. a lot of gypsies do do it too, like, but... I'm a firm believer, I think the gypsy community are the best... Yeah. bare knuckle fighting I mean they bred from a really really young age I mean four or five year old having it's square go straighteners on the camps and, and I, I highly respect the gypsy community um, but yeah the gypsy lads are there probably the, would be the best at bare knuckle yeah. fighting like. I've got a lot of respect for Paddy yeah Paddy Doherty yeah he's turned yeah. his life around just in movies and all that yeah so you were inspired then to turn it around on, your, on the bulliers? I was. I had. I fixated. I fixated in my mind. I'm gonna get these bastards back. <laughs> Somehow, somewhere, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> and um, there was a there was one story. My dad. One of them fucking beat me up in the disco, and I didn't fight back. Well, my dad. I had this like you know. My dad's a fucking hard man. If he seen I was getting bullied, he. Used to drag me around to the house, fucking fight him. And I used to be scared. I didn't have the bottle. I didn't have it in me, so I would bottle it maybe three or four times. There were different occasions where I just wouldn't fight. I didn't have it in me. And I kept watching Lenny and watching Lenny. And then I was about 15 years old. I was walking back from the football field and there was two of them coming towards me. And I tell you what, I'm not joking. You fucking hell! What? 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 I just, I just lost complete control. Just that moment there, boom! Everything, the whole memories of everything happening over the last two years, and I just stamped all over the heads, kicked the shit out of them, and that was just watching the Lenny McLean, the governors, just doing it. And it just, I kind of like took a little, a little bit inspiration from it, and just started kind of like replaying what he done, stamping on the heads, um, which I wouldn't advise this day and age, like. But um, yeah, that's how it, and I got them back. How did you feel after that? I became a right cocky bastard. <laughs> and rightly so, though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do, you know, do you know when you get the, um, do you know when you, you finally get that realisation that you can have a fight? Yeah. And uh, there was another incident. I'd just turned 16. I got knocked out, actually. I got knocked out by a grown man. I went up town, nightclubbing, 
you know, 16 year old. And this, this was, a, it was a place called Freedom and it was uh, 9.99 all you can drink. Mm-hmm. So you take your glass to the bar and they refill it and all the cheap fucking Russian vodka and stuff. And uh, I got absolutely plastered. But there was me and a couple of mates and we're walking home that night. Well, he's me, Billy Big Boy, because I think I'm 10 men because I can have a fight. And there was a group of five lads and I knocked four of them out. And what happened was they were coming at me one by one. Obviously, if they came at once, they'd have probably have outnumbered me. But because they were coming one by one, I was just lacing them out. And then they went and got the, uh, like an older fellow, about 36-year-old at the time. And uh, he just walked over to me, bumf, knocked me straight out. I was in hospital for two days. And I never, ever got my revenge on him. <laughs> <laughs> but my dad, my father, went and seen him uh, and sorted it. But um, yeah, that was one, one thing that I never got revenge for. How did you learn to punch so good then? Just born with it. Just gifted with it. Like I said, I mean, I never boxed. I never I never went to any boxing clubs. I mean, now and again, like I said, I went to do some pad work, maybe joined for a couple of classes or something, but it was just like a natural gift of a right hand. You know, it's um, you know, it's just like, obviously, like, John uh, Wilder, nothing like that. But I'm saying he's born with a right hand. Yeah. Knocking beat. And I, I kind of found that I just had this knockout punch. Um, but like I say, it wasn't until later on in life I kind of realised the full extent of my fighting ability. I was just a bit of a thug because I I always believe that there's a difference between a proper fighting man and a man that goes uptown giving sidewinders to people that are drunk. Yeah. And you get that a lot in society. People will be at the bar having a drink, bum, side on, knocked out, and then they're going around giving it the Billy Big Rocks that they've knocked somebody out and really they haven't had a fight. They've just given them a sly punch. Yeah. So, when you came to finishing school, what was your game plan there? Well, I had, uh, like, my two dreams. I wanted to be a governor. And I was also, I always used to say I always wanted to be a bodyguard. A bodyguard. I used to have this dream and I wanted to go in the army. And I went, I went, I'd done my work experience in the army when as, I was six. what? Just, just, in, just going to the, in the army for, like, it was a week. You know, like, doing all the training, abseiling down the buildings and mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, it kind of, even that week kind of instilled a bit of discipline in me. Did you enjoy it, yeah? I did, yeah, but the only thing I had a problem with at the time was being told what to do. I was going to say, yeah. getting in your face and shouting at you. I, I don't know what I could do. Like, oh. I hated it, especially when you're a proud man. Like yeah. I, was getting, I was getting to the stage where I can have a fight now. I'm not having you fucking talk to us like that. I'm but, a peacock now, for fuck <laughs> off. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I couldn't, do you know what? I couldn't hold down a job. Mm. I couldn't stand bosses telling me what to do. What jobs did you try? I worked in factories when I was 18, 19, working in factories. And the thing is with me, and even now, if somebody asks me to do something politely with manners, I'll do any all day long. Someone comes up and says, do that now with fuck an attitude, off. fuck off. Yeah. Like, no, I, I can't. And I st- even now today, I st- and sometimes you've got to bite your tongue. I think now, especially in the public eye, when you're on set, um, you've got to bite your tongue. You can't... Uh, Risk losing your job. I um, I started off at a place called Crispy, and it was just literally Golden Wonder crisps, and you were packing them. But I'd, always, I'd be a clown, and I'd, I couldn't hold you up for long. Come to the canteen time, you'd get a group of lads, and these group of lads would always just sit there and just laugh. And they thought they'd been there longer than me. They thought they could boss me around, do this yeah. and do that. So I got the salt and pepper and undone it all. They got the fish and chips and all that, and went like that. And I just pissed up laughing. I ended up fighting three of them on the yard. And I uh, fucking, I whooped them, like, but then I got the sack. 
<laughs> That's the thing, you're outnumbered as well. Yeah, you no, get we... the fucking sack. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, you, so you're groping around for work at this young age, not not settling. Um, how did that evolve over time then? See, my mum and dad always told me to get a job. Like The thing is, my I come from a good family. At the time, I didn't know where they got me from because I was kind of the black sheep. <laughs> yeah. like my brother was a good lad. My sister, my sister, to be honest with you, my sister's a little bit like my dad, quite hot-tempered and in your face, do you know what I mean? But my brother, he's more chilled he's re- and he's done well for this all. Now in life, he's got a good job on the railway and he's doing well with the family. Um, I was the black sheep. And I started working the doors at 19. I got offered a job. And it's, I say this in my book. It's in my book, this, The Prize Fighter. Um, there was a guy called Granny, which I've still got a lot of respect for today. He was the, the head, he was the boss of the doors of, of the company at the time. And um, I went up to him, I says, this was on a night out. I says, you know what it is, Granny? I'm going to get your job when I'm older. And he was the head <laughs> doorman at the time, a handy fella as well. But uh, we became quite friendly as well when I started working for him. And he, he, he got me a job and I started working the doors and that's how I got into cocaine. Oh, the problem is, when I was bullied as a kid, I was in and out of the doctors from 15-year-old with depression. Yeah. When you're young, you don't really understand depression. You don't understand anxiety. You don't un- understand them problems mentally. You just think it's a phase you're going through as a kid. I'll grow out of this when I get older. <coughs> well, what happened was, I'd start finding myself in really deep, dark holes. And I would hide away in the bedroom and I would sit in my bedroom on my own away from the world. That was my safety net, my little comfort zone. And um, I started working the doors and what I would just, I'd I'd be in crowds and I'd be like, why am I feeling anxious? I didn't like being around groups of people. I'd get paranoid. Like panic attacks. Yeah. And I'd start feeling like... You don't know what it is, do you then? Not at the time, no. No. And and I I was working the doors one night and we'd just kick somebody out. This was at 19 year old and... uh, I started, couldn't breathe. I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with this? I felt like I was on a heart attack. Yeah. My chest started tightening up. My mate just goes, here, have one of these, man. I said, what's that? He said, oh, a bit of coke. He said, it'll sort you out. And I took it. I went to the toilet and I had it and I came back. Fucking top of the world. Superman. And do you know what happened? I found that when I took the drugs, it took away all my problems. And that's when the addiction started. Yeah. I thought, you know what? I don't want. I don't want to suffer anxiety. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to be in a dark hole. Fuck this! I'm gonna get high and I'm gonna feel good. Not realizing it didn't take it away. It just camouflaged it. Did it substituted your problem? Yeah. And what it does is your problems lying dormant. And what you're doing is the thing is it's like anything. You're depressed. You take a stimulant or a drug. Over time, it escalates it tenfold. So the little problem you've got now turns into a big problem. So then when you finally do come off drugs, that's when the mental health begins. You've got to deal with your original problem as well. Yeah. That's the story of our lives, because we were... Yeah. Until, the, until the SWAT team took us off it, basically, yeah. Sorry, we were untouchable. Um, so, doorman stories from back then? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know what it is? I was quite I was quite a sensible doorman. Yeah. I wasn't a troublemaker. I was never a bully. I would never target people to kick people out. And I, I would, I would definitely, I wouldn't say I had that many fights on the doors. Most of my fights were when, when I wasn't working. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, um, the thing is, I just had this, I had a like untouchable attitude. Mm. I just, I've got a right hand that I'll put you away. And 
it worked. I mean, I was knock, I knocked people out. I gained a bit of a name for myself. But like I say, even from a young age of 19 year old, I still had the attitude there was always a harder man. Mm. I was very respectable towards the older hard men. You know, like when you're 19, you're coming through the ranks. Yeah. You've got your 30 and 40 year olds that have made the name. And uh, I was always aware of that. And I did have respect for the older generation. Mm. So I never kind of like got full of myself thinking that I was a Billy Big Bollocks better than everybody. You knew, you knew who not to go off to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that respect. Like a barrier kind of respect. Yeah. Not to, you know, oh, I'm not fucking with him. So what crazy fight stories have you got then? Um, well, yeah, I got um, smashed over the head with a with a with a baseball bat. Do you want to run it down how that came about? Um, I was we were fighting outside a nightclub, and um, two lads, one of them chucked a fucking you know like barbed wire. It was barbed wire in the bin, and it wrapped right right round my arm. Bastards! And it fuck, and I've still got the marks. Like oh. it looks like I've been cutting myself, but I haven't. Yeah. And I've still yeah. got this little scars. That's why I've got them tattooed over, and I've, that's why I got my tattoos on there. And um, wrapped around there, and someone come behind us and bumph, baseball bat put us right to my knees, and um, I ended up getting up and still doing him like. What was the fight over? Just nothing, just a bit. What you're looking at in the nightclub? <laughs> what you're looking at? But fucking baseball bats and fucking barbed wire involved. Where the fuck mm. did the bat come from? There was that on the outside. The, the thing is, the, I, there was one, the one that came with the baseball, but he wasn't in the club. The, the lad in the club called him to come down. Down. Mm. I always found the nightclub the best weapon. If people are going to get weapons, your best was a Newcastle Brown bottle because yeah. they're thick. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot of people smash the bottles on the bar, don't they? Yeah. Sharp but if you get glass. a bottle over your head, it hurts more if it doesn't smash because when it smashes, it takes like some of the the hit away. If it doesn't smash, it hurts a lot more. Yeah. And then Newcastle Browns are thick bottles. Then all this. Remember the old Brickwick soda siphons? Yeah. Not that I'd, I'd advise putting bottles over people's heads, <laughs> no, by the way, but it is a couple of them fucking go for it. <laughs> Do you know something? Um, from the age of 19, when I started the, the drugs, the cocaine, the pills, the ease, the amphetamine, the whiz, I dabbled in it all. Dabbled, I mean, cocaine, whiz, ecstasy, steroids, and then to get to sleep, I'd use diazepam volume. Mm-hmm. But it became, do you know what it is? And I can honestly say, guys, that I cannot remember a full week of my 20s. And that's the God's honest hand on heart truth. I can't remember a week of it because I was that out my fucking face. But the reason why I was out my face was to take me away from the darkness. And I was on this high for so many years. And with every high comes a big crash. During that darkness, were you working out? Eh, uh, on and off. I wasn't really, I mean, like I said, I didn't understand mental health problems. I didn't understand, or if you go to the gym, you'll, you can keep it at bay and make it better. I didn't understand that then. The mentality that I had was, ah, pull yourself together, man. You'll fucking get over it. Tomorrow's a new day. Just forget about it. Or people would use that attitude towards you. Pull yourself together or get a grip. And you kind of accept that. And it became like instilled in your mind to accept it. I mean, the thing is, as well, with my mum and dad, I've been great parents and they brought us up really well, but I would never speak to them. I would never open up to my mum and dad. I would I would hide it. And I was really good at masking and hiding my problems, putting on this brave face. But then when I was on my own, I'd cry and I'd, I'd be like, I'd, I'd know there was something up. I'd start getting to like my early 20s and I knew I had something wrong with us. 
but I didn't know what it was. So then what I do is I just get out and go and get drugs. And the drugs kept me kind of, they kind of kept me sane. I know it sounds dumb and I'm not really advising anybody to take drugs. What I'm saying is at the time that my anxiety, my mental health was that bad. The drugs kept me level. They kept me level. You self-medicate, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Same here. I mean, I had social anxiety, but then on ecstasy, wouldn't stop dancing and making friends with people all night long. Yeah. Yeah. But you just... Gets I mean, you through it, doesn't it? The only thing is with the ecstasy, you'd be best mates with your fucking enemy. <laughs> For one night only. For one night only. <laughs> <laughs> the guy you know we fight with at the football matches or something like that, you hugging. Oh. I love you, bro. Giving them your number, you get a text yeah. the next day. What the fuck you texting me? <laughs> so how old was you when you started to go to the gym? Uh, on and off when I was 20. I mean, I was bench pressing 180 kilo when I was 20 oh. year old. But I was full of gear. I was taking steroids then. That would have helped with depression either, would it? It didn't, mate, no. <laughs> no. And this is, this is the thing, mate. It's all these drugs I was taking at the time, unbeknown to me, I was making it worse. But I didn't know that. I thought, or I mean, body dysmorphia, for, for example, I had that really bad from getting called fat and stuff. And I thought, if I take steroids, get in shape, I won't be ashamed of my body anymore. But it didn't help. It didn't do anything. It made me it made me more paranoid. Because when you get bigger, you're not satisfied with your gains. And you want to get even more. I want a six-pack. You get the six-pack, you're not happy. You you're always you. finding something to yeah. do to try, and, to try and achieve. But... Really, that it's just un—it's un, the the dreams that I'm like. It's it would never. You're never gonna be that. I want a body like that, but you never will. It's just in your head. You create this 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 dream in your head that will never that doesn't exist. Did you get the rage? Yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. did that get you in some situations? Yeah, I got bad. I've been got bad road rage. Like, um, not as growing up with the bullying and stuff. You you, you I grew a temper. So what you're doing there is then you're escalating that temper even more. You know what I mean? So I was already bad tempered. You take steroids, your temper's ten times worse. It's like with the with depression, you make it ten times worse. And that's what happened. And I got really I mean, I was I was a bit of a nightmare to be around. I was always paranoid and insecure. What's he looking at? Um it wasn't good. Like in like having girlfriends and stuff, I was always paranoid and insecure about that. And it was the drugs. Now, when I, when I sit now, it was the drugs that made me like that. Made did me paranoid and... Did you ever accuse your girlfriends of shagging? Yeah. I'd do it. Oh, fucking hell. I yeah. was awful for that. I'd be feeling under the bed, mate. Thinking someone's underneath there Honest shit. to God, mate. I, 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 hand on heart, I was that fucking out my head on shit. Some of the stuff I was coming out with wasn't normal. <laughs> wasn't normal. It's like, you're coming from a night out. You're texting them. Who you with? Where you are? What time you back in at? And you go and checking up on them. And I'm like, I'm sitting now thinking, and I used to do that. It's not normal, but it's the drugs make the fuck your head. I wouldn't check her out. I'd put my hand down, see if she was fucking wet, see where she'd been. I wouldn't let her shower before she'd come and see me. Really? <laughs> she told me that one night they were having sex, about to have sex, and Peter just grabs a knife, big bowl bread knife, starts just plunging it into this mattress just below her legs. And she's like, what are you doing that for? I know there's a Mexican on the mattress fingering your bum right now. What? <laughs> really? Fucking hell, crazy. I'd been up a long time. There were some days where I'd wake up in a cell and I'd, I'd think, oh shit, what have I done? I'd look all right, my knuckles would be a bit sore. But 
it's a scary moment when you don't know whether you're in there for yeah. fucking murder or whatever you're in there. It's normally just like fighting, you know what I mean? Yeah. Fucking get your head down for you're in court in two weeks, whatever. And it was always, it never really got to, when I was younger, it never got to sort of crown court. So then when I got older, it state magistrates, which was good because the most they could really give you is 18 months. Yeah. Once it gets to crown, you can get some serious time. It was only when it got older, when it's like people got hurt more, then it'd go to Crown. And that's when I started getting prison and that. So how did yours escalate then? Did you get into more violent situations? Um, I did, yeah, I got into fight I got into like fighting stuff, but do you know what it is? Through my whole twenties, I was in a battle with myself. It was a mental battle that I didn't understand. I just had this dark cloud hanging over me for so many years without understanding what it was. And a lot of my behaviour, no excuses, because I take full responsibility for my shit, but a lot of my behaviour was based on the way my mind was feeling, like I was taking it out on everybody else, and I wasn't happy with myself, I was, I was insecure in myself. And the probably reason why I was paranoid when I, was, when I had girlfriends and stuff, because I was insecure in myself. Yeah. I body dysmorphia. I wasn't happy in myself. I wasn't happy in my looks. I, I mean, I went. I used to go through phases where I would feel fat and ugly, and I'd put a little bit of weight on because I wasn't training. And what happened was it got that bad. I wouldn't even come out of the house. I wouldn't leave my house. I would be a hermit in my bedroom, and I wouldn't come out my house because if I went outside, I'd get anxiety. So this is what happened. I used to do. I used to um, only only till two years ago. I'm totally teetotal now. But I used to, um, I used to think the world was judging me. What happens is when you build this, when you have this reputation, and then you build this, people put you on a pedestal, so you feel in your mind that you have to live up to their standards. So then, what would happen was I wouldn't leave the house because I thought people were judging me. Ah, oh, you've put weight on deck. You don't look good anymore. You feel horrible. So what I would do is I'd, I'd drink vodka before I left the house. The vodka, yeah, and it, it gave me that little kick that I needed to get out the house, and it became a reliant for a few years where I was having to have a couple of shots of vodka, but the, the funny thing about it was, it was my mum and dad's vodka, I used to pinch the fucking vodka, and you know what I used to do, pinch the vodka, and then fill it up with water, but <laughs> <laughs> dad's like, that doesn't fucking taste strong, <laughs> but that's what I do mate, that's the extent the mental health problems that I had was I was so insecure in my, my body and my looks and the way I am is I wouldn't leave the house unless I had a drink. Have you got any stories of crazy behaviour from back then? Eh, uh, oh, drink. We used to, I'll tell you what we used to do. Me, I won't mention the names because they're, uh, they're happily married. Yeah, let's keep names But uh, we used to, um, like the goths, you know, like the goths, the the, the the rock nights. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we used to go and cause trouble at the rock nights. We used to go. My mate, my mate. I won't mention his name, but he used to go up to people and say, "Tell you what, mate. If you give us a fiver, I'll cut your hair for you." <laughs> used to fucking start a scale. Just start fighting. Yeah. <laughs> and we just used to go down and cause trouble at that. And, and but see, when I look back now, it's like the position that I'm in, and like especially with getting into the bare knuckle fight and having proper straighteners. I'm like, what am I doing? And it, and it was the drink and the drugs. Macken was like a fucking idiot. It's fun though, back, back, in, the, back in the day. It was yeah, fun. You, you just, you, it's, it's you're not scared of it. No. You, you wouldn't expect the knife in your back either. See, would when you? you're young, you, you, you not, you've no fear. Where now, when you get older and you, you've got like you've got family and, you, and you're more mature, you worry about getting a knife in the back. You think before yeah. you act. Yeah. Yeah. 
But um, no, I used to use that mad stories I used to with the cocaine. I mean, stupid, stupidly, how the fuck it hasn't got out there. I used to line a gram up. I used to put a gram into a snake. <laughs> and I used to do the full gram in one go as a snake. Oh, wow. And uh, I was, I was, I was a Hoover. I was terrible. I was, I had a really bad addiction to cocaine. Um, really, really bad addiction. And like I say, I used to do the unlicensed boxing, not for the love of boxing, for to feed my habit. Yeah. Because I wasn't working. I didn't want to work in a factory. I didn't want to be told what to do. But how can I make money? Five hundred pound a fight. What Every did the doors pay back in the day? Like the doors back then, back then, no, back then it was like you were getting like ten pound an hour. Then that was early two thousands. Good that. Still, that was good. So nowadays you'd be talking maybe twenty, thirty pound an hour, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. Um, How did your first unlicensed fight go down then? It was it was legendary, mate. It was uh, I'd never I'd never trained for it. I was really unfit, and um, we got this call. A guy called Stu Hall that ran the shows at the time back at home in Carlisle. Um, he got a call, he says, Decker, he said, do you want to fight a guy called Mickey German? Now, Mickey German was one of the toughest men on the, in, on the unlicensed scene at the time. He'd had over, like, 60 fights. And he is me, little old Decker. I've never had a fight, never had a boxing fight in my life with the gloves on. My first ever bout. Are you fighting for the title, Decker? Thrown in the deep end, but what? <laughs> Fucking hell. T- like, <laughs> in every situation. So he said, you've got to fight in a month. So I thought, oh, I'll get a couple of jogs in. A couple of jogs in. Not realising you have to be fucking fit. It's just a fight. I thought, it's like the street. I was thinking it's going <laughs> to be like a street fight. I've got to get yeah. a couple of jogs in. Is it fuck? Yeah. So we had, it was a six-round bout. And I've got it on video somewhere, but it was a classic. Like, it was a classic. We went toe-to-toe for six rounds. One of the toughest men on the unlicensed circuit at the time, and I beat him, and I won the title. Wow. In my first fucking unlicensed fight. And that's when I got the name Deck of the Machine. So, in terms of describing the fight, then what actually happened in that fight? What happened was we were, uh, it was just a talk. I mean, I was out of shape, mate. How I, I was quite fat at the time. But it was, I mean, and it was like a 500 capacity, but you know, in a compressed room, yeah. the fucking atmosphere was electric. Everyone was jumping on the ropes and what a fight, just total to action. Did you have a lot of supporters? But the whole place, because it was in my hometown and the whole place erupted. That helped a lot, wasn't it? Well, it did, wasn't mate. It? Yeah, it got me. Th- it was actually that that got me through. The adrenaline yeah. got me through the fight because come the end of the fight, mate, I had a face like that, and it was a really. T- I mean, the gloves were eight ounce at the time. Was the fight? Um, You'd feel even the punch or more, wouldn't you? It was quite even right throughout. All and then, throughout. Right throughout, and then in the fifth round, I, I got a. Te- I, I give him a ten count. He like I stumbled him, give him a right hook, stumbled him across the ring, and he counted. And so that's a two point score, like a ten eight round. And that's what won us the fight, that 10-8 wow. round. Every other round was even, apart from the fifth round where I, where I got scored a 10-8. So going to your next fight, was your confidence off the scale? Just, you know what it was? I thought, I just thought, like, you just... When it's like with the... It, it took us back to when I was a kid. My first fucking fight in the street. You get you, you become like Billy Big Bollocks, don't you? <laughs> and thinking to myself, oh, I don't, I, I've just won that fight. I don't need to train because I'll just, I'll just keep winning. But it doesn't work like that. And what happened then throughout my uh, unlicensed boxing career, I lost quite a few. I lost about seven fights. You know what I mean? I lost about seven through my unlicensed boxing. You didn't take it serious, did you really? Never, never, no. mate. I was always on, I mean, the second fight and my third fight, I went in the ring coked up. <laughs> what happened in the second fight then? The second fight was this one. This is this is well. What's happened is I'm not gonna. You know what? I'm not even gonna give him any airtime. But I was um, in my second fight. I took a dive. 
I took a dive in my second fight. I was paid money to dive. The fight's on YouTube. You see the fight on YouTube. And when you look at that fight on YouTube and you see me fall down after about 10 seconds, then fast forward and look at my bare knuckle fights. I'm taking punches for 20 minutes long. You with bare fist. You know, it's diff- you know the difference. And I took a dive. and um, Did you have models about that? No. Not then, I never know. Did you, have, did you have someone play? Have a big bag of coke or a little bag of coke? No, she wants well, the big because bag I knew coke. I was taking a dive. I sniffed about half a gram in one go. <laughs> <laughs> I sniffed about half a gram before that fight, and what happened? But the thing is, what you don't realise as well, when you have cocaine without alcohol, it makes you edgy and paranoid. Mm. So what happened was, I'm here walking to the ring, two thousand crowd. Paranoid to fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm thinking, what the fuck? Like thinking that I'm going to give myself a boost. Did I fuck? I'm sniffing that. I'm like, fucking hell, I'm scared. You got scared. The, the anxiousness of the fucking sniff without any drink. And I took a dive and then what happened was it, it became like I had no shame then. Where now, and if someone paid me 10 grand to take a dive, now I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So, so how does it work taking a dive? How do they... They just come up to you. They, they just come up to you. They come up to you and offer you, offer you money. And they place a bet against it then? I think so think that's how it works but I wasn't aware of it do you know the, mm. the thing is it's like if someone came up to me now and says right Deco we've got a bare knuckle fight for you but I want to take it, take a dive for 10 grand not a chance offer me a million pound I won't take a dive mate because the proudness now I'm proud yeah. I've earned that reputation I've, I've spilled the blood and no I wouldn't let anybody take that away from me now with all the hard work that I've put in and uh, I went on a spiral for about 6 years just having fights here and there well, I had a couple of classic boxing fights with a guy called Oscar. He beat us twice, actually, on points. Not Delahoy. No, no, no. <laughs> and, uh, but he was a really good fighter at the time. And uh, he beat me. And uh, another guy called John Cruel Intention Stevens, he beat me. But he was like 40 fights undefeated. Yeah. But these guys, but, and you know what I used to say to myself was, if I was fit like I am now, I'd have probably have beat them. But these guys were beating me on points, not finishing me. Yeah. When I wasn't even fit. So I'm thinking, fucking hell, if I'd have got myself fit, I think that's what I do now. The only thing I do is I think back and I think, if I got myself fit, I probably would have beat them. But I don't look back. I see it as a learning curve and an experience, and I've learned from it and I've went on. To... You can't have regrets, can you? No, you can't. But drugs, the whole drug, the whole drugs played a massive part right through my 20s. Did you learn certain moves that refined your technique over time? Nah. I was just a come-forward fighter, like a bulldozer. Big left, big right. Yeah, big right, big straight right hand. But do you know what it is? And it sounds weird. A lot of lads who do the bare knuckle will probably agree with me on this. When you put a glove on, for me personally, it takes away that killer instinct. It's like a sponge. Yeah, it is. A padding on your hand. Especially the 16-ounce things. Eight ounces, you still it's like you know you celebrate when you when you crack someone with a fist with yeah. your bare hand. Do you ever feel like? Have you ever put a glove on? I put a glove on and then you feel like your do you not feel it restricts you like you what yeah. you, you I don't know you, you say like don't. I fucked up my knuckles up now. Yeah, it's like yeah, you just you just it takes away that it just takes away that killer instinct for yeah. me. Yeah, but when I take the gloves off, it's like you, I, feel, you, you feel your skin hitting the yeah. fucking skin. And you got the glove on. You I'm don't... like Superman. I'm like Clark Kent. He takes his glasses off and becomes Superman. I take the glove off and become fucking a tornado of a right hand, and that's how it feels. How many fights have you had? Um, bare knuckle. I've had twelve. And how many? One ten drew two. 
And how many of them were knockouts? Uh, most of them. Most of them? Yeah. The, uh, a lot of my fights are on YouTube and on the Facebook page. Um, the best fight, I would say, the probably the best two fights that I had, I had one against, and he's, he's rest in peace to Stephen Miller, he's dead now, um, with mental health problems. 2014, he was six foot ten and twenty three stone. Wow! And he, he was a bodyguard for Madonna, the singer. Wow! And he uh, from Leicester. It's a unit right there. We had a six round toe to toe fight. Oh shit! And it, I tell you, who was the referee? You might have heard of Barrington Patterson, Big Baz. Big Baz. Big Baz. One eyed Baz. Yeah, one eyed Baz. Yeah, yeah, I'm good friends. We'd love to get him on the. Yeah, podcast. well, I'm friends with yeah. Baz, like, so he'd probably be watching this. Cool. Um, Baz was the referee for that fight. Wow. And we called it a draw. Like, and that's on good, YouTube. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to watch that. It was a good fight, mate. Really big. Do you know what? It was very technical and clever. Yeah. Because I thought, do you know what? 23 stone, six foot. If I trade with him, I'm getting knocked out. Yeah. So I had to use my clever, my brain. And I was trained at the time by a guy called Patrick Mulroy. Really, really good boxing coach in um, in Hoyk in Scotland. And he taught me to, to box on the outside and counter punch him. So in the end, he ended up having a face like a butcher's block. And how did you get him in the end? Was it points? It was a points. It was just a point. It was a, they counted it as a draw. But he had, he, he was blind in both eyes. Both eyes puffed up. Wow. Yeah. It was a really brutal So you fight. just stay away from his reach? I stayed away from his reach and counted him every time I come over. with the. He was. I was just parrying his punches down and coming over with the right. But the problem we had in, in that fight as well, I, t- I torn both my t- bicep muscles. The uh, story goes, we got to the fight late, about half an hour late. Decker, you've only got five minutes to warm up. Put us in a room by seven foot by seven foot. Me and my boxing coach couldn't warm up properly. No. Knock on the door in the ring. Went to the ring without even warming up. That's how I tore, tore both my biceps. Think they did that on purpose to you? Try and throw it. Definitely, hundred percent, hundred percent. Never had no time to warm up. Just get in the ring. You need that time to warm up, don't you? To loosen up. You know what I mean? Well, I find with sparring as well now. If you go in cold, it takes a long time to get into it. What I'll do now before I spar, when I'm training now, is I'll do like half like half an hour intense workout. Get all sweaty. Feel like I've been in a fight. So when it comes to the sparring, you're ready to go. Do you have a preferred place to hit someone to knock them out? With the bare knuckle fighting, I always go with the soft tissue areas. Stay away from the top of the head. Break your knuckles. Knuckles, yeah. Soft tissue you've got around this area and then the body. And there's always the float and rib shot. The float and rib is definitely better than hitting them on the chin. The float and rib, you're not getting back up. Doesn't matter how big you are. You hit them in that float and rib at the top of there. You know, that's it. Can't breathe. Can't get up. Can't breathe. Wow. That what it's called, like the float and rib? Float and rib shot. Did you ever see the Ricky Hatton fight when he came back from his retirement against, was it Lachenko or something? That was like a delayed reaction, that. Remember, and he went down, he couldn't get back up. That was a float and rib shot. Ah, right. Mm. What happens is when you get hit on the foot, I've been hitting sparring on the rib, float and rib. What happens is you don't go down straight away. You're like, (gasps) and then you go. Mm. Like that reaction that you were saying, yeah. Yeah. That you kind of like stand up to get your breath and you can't get your breath, so then you go down. It's like the start of an anxiety attack, really. And then you can't get up. So what about your workout discipline? You just, you're massive. Yeah, you're huge. Uh, really? Yeah. This is me. I've lost. Well, I'm coming back fighting now. I'm going to probably be fighting March, April. Um, on the um, on a show. Well, I can't really name it yet. Um, but I'm going to be fighting. And um, I've lost. I was 17 stone four. 
three months ago. I'm now 16 stone exactly. And what I've done, I've been doing the intermittent fasting, the diet. I need to diet. I'm yeah. 26 fucking stone. Are you? Yeah, but it's fucking fat. <laughs> Cider. The uh, the intermittent fasting that I'm doing is quite popular now. A lot of the uh, film stars do it. It's um, You eat for eight hours and then don't eat for 16 hours. Mm. So what I'll do is, my boxing coach got me on it, he, uh, Mark. What happens is you um, have your last meal at eight o'clock at night. And then you don't eat again, just drink water till 12 o'clock in the afternoon the next day. And what you do is 12 o'clock till 8 o'clock, I have four meals every two hours, really healthy meals. And I only eat carbs now. I'll eat my carbs just before training. If I'm not training, I won't eat carbs. I'll eat broccoli and meat. Yeah, chicken and rice, stuff like yeah. that. And that's what she's good as really lean and feeling healthy and good. What actual exercises do you do in your training? I do a lot of strength and conditioning with the tractor tyres. You look bigger than 16 stone. No, like. honestly, right. I think what's happened is because I've lost a lot of body fat, I've got my body fat percentage down now till about 13, 14%. What happens is when you lose a lot of body fat, it's like an illusion makes you look bigger. I think I'm the other way around. I think my fucking fat percentage is 78%. <laughs> my muscle's about 13%. <laughs> but I, um, you know what it is, guys? I use training now to keep my mental health up there. I was diagnosed in 2018 with bipolar disorder. I bet you were made up, though. That sounds really stupid, but to actually find out that all that time when you were growing up, that there was something wrong with you. You know what, mate? The first thing that went through my head, I'll tell you exactly what went through my head when I was on the... Uh, I was on therapy for six weeks, cognitive yeah. therapy, and uh, the first thing that went in my head when the psychiatrist said, we're going to diagnose you with bipolar... 17 stone, bare-knuckle fighter, bipolar. People are going to think I'm a fucking lunatic. <laughs> that is the first thing that went through mm -hmm. my head. And do you know what? See, for the first two days of being diagnosed, I was fucking depressed. I was down. <laughs> Honestly, I went home and I, was, I had all these... And what I was doing was I was overthinking. I was creating situations that didn't exist. Mm. But what I'd done was I, um, I was on the lithium Priodel, 1,200 milligrams a day which I still take today, high dose. It can't be good on the liver sometimes, so I'll take the milk thistle and drink plenty of water. You can't drink beer, can you? Turns you into a lunatic. Yeah. Mm. And um, I'd have by, but what, this, like I say, this is this is onto the story with the mental health kind of things. Um, I was diagnosed with bipolar, and what happened was I was, um, I came off, I've just been working the corrupted, I, like I said, I got into movies, we've, we've probably skipped that part. Haven't we? But uh, let's just say, in my last fight, in the bare knuckle fight, I was approached to work in the movie industry as an actor. And like he says to you, he says, Decker, he said, have you, have you ever uh, done any acting before? I said, well, not really. I wanted to get off with the coppers when I'm in trouble. <laughs> it's the only acting I've ever done. Um, but do you know what? It's excelled from there. Obviously, looking the part, tattoos, and I had a big beard, but I've shaved it off now. The Viking look I we used to go for. And uh, I got into the acting. And what happened was I just finished filming The Corrupted that was recently at the cinemas. It's now on DVD. And I just came off from a massive high work with these great actors, really buzzing, happy. And I got home and I just hit this massive, massive low. And I still had this bipolar thing playing on my mind, not fully understanding it. And the doctor says, listen, the lithium can take quite a few months to kick in to get the right dose. You do like measuring my levels, taking my blood every yeah. two weeks. And... Um, I just, 
and I had a girlfriend at the time, and, and, and the sad part about it is me and my girlfriend at the time, we lost two babies. Mm, um, sorry to hear about that. Yeah. Uh, what, what happened was I, was I was going through a really bad time mentally, so with, with losing the babies on top of it, the first one was only 13 weeks, obviously mm. not, not born, but the worst one was was 20-odd weeks, the second one. We got past the safe stage, and then what happened was, mate, my, I just went into meltdown in my mind. And what happened was, and this, this is what I want to get out there to everybody listening, that with mental health and, and depression and stuff, it doesn't matter how much money you've got or how much fame you've got or success you've got, when you lose control of your mind, you lose all sense of reality. And what happens is you don't give a fuck about money. Mm. You don't give a fuck about, you don't care about your family. All you want to do is you want to kill yourself. Because what that does is it takes away the mental pain in your mind. And people think that committing suicide is cowardly. I don't, because I've been there. We found out we lost the baby, the second one. And I just went on this, I went I went for a walk. And I was going to kill myself. And I was going to end it all. And do you know what? At the time I was doing this, I didn't give a fuck about movies. I didn't give a fuck about my book. I didn't care about anything. I thought, I just want to die. I just want to kill myself. I'm sick of all this mental fucking pain. I'm sick of overthinking. I can't get on buses because of anxiety. I can't get on fucking trains. My life's ruined. All these negative thoughts that I was building up myself that I know now. I went for a walk. Just before I was going to do it, I just sat, I just, something just came over me. Like, like a fucking, something just came over me, like a flash of light, and, and, and I thought, I need to change my life. I need to change my life. I went back home, and I sat on my bed, and I thought, right, the lithium isn't really helping me. The tablets aren't really helping me. I caused this damage by taking the drugs. Now it's time for me to mend this damage myself. And I went on this journey for over eight months of like a spiritual journey, really. Going teetotal, just not touching any stimulants, starting the gym every day. I thought, if I don't go to the gym, I get depressed and I don't want to be here. And what I did was I thought, I need to go to the gym. But I couldn't go to the gym every day because I was building lactic acid and I was getting sore. Yeah. So I thought, well... If I don't go to the gym, I'm going to feel depressed. So then I started getting cold baths. I started doing the ice cold water method where it recovers your muscles. But I'd noticed after a month of doing this that I started doing something to my mind. Like my mind was stimulated from the cold water and I was doing it twice a day religiously and my muscles were getting better. I could go to the gym every day. But I'd noticed after about a month that my mind was getting really good and I felt like a spring in my step and I felt happy. So I started these routines and I started it on social media of doing the methods of the cold water method, exercise, diet and having structure and routine in your life. And I changed, and you know what? Over the eight months, I got it all out with losing the baby and stuff. I just started clearing my mind and I started moving forward and I accepted it. And what, what really now, today, even today, got me in the really good place that I'm in, I've accepted my mental health problems. I've accepted, and what, I've, what I mean by this to the people listening is, when you have mental health problems, instead of fighting them, don't fight them, accept them in your life as a friend, 
and succeed side by side with it. So what you say to yourself is, yes, I'm going to have a bad day, but tomorrow's a new day. And what instead of sitting at home and dwelling on these problems, I'm depressed, I don't leave the house, don't dwell on it, still get up, still do your thing, and you'll find that the next day you'll get over that. But if you sit and do nothing, that's when it manifests and depression grows like a cancer. If you don't act on it and do something, it gets worse and worse. And that's why a lot of men and people commit suicide because they don't open up and they don't talk about it. I think this is really important and it's going to help a lot of people watching this because we get messages all the time from people saying, you know, I was suicidal and then I watched your videos and I saw something that inspired me. People that have been through it, like what you're talking about, that that's, you know, they're the people that they pay attention to the most. So you said about the acting then as well. Um, you went into this phase where you didn't care about it because of that depression. Are you back on track with all your acting now? 100%. I was, my, my first movie that I did was the My Name is Lenny. Now, this is where dreams are made of. The guy that I idolised, Lenny McLean, I, mean, I ended up winning the Governor title in 2016. Not just that, my book was published by the same publisher as Lenny McLean, John <laughs> Blake's. The third one, my first movie role, was in my idol's movie. Getting kicked the shit, getting the, getting the face kicked off as off Lenny McLean. So them three things that happened in my life for me is it's a dream really because I've got to do all these special things in my life through positive thinking. It was all just believing in myself. But the only problem I had with the acting when I first started, I would get anxiety before I went on set. I couldn't control it. So that's what I'm saying. When I went on this journey a year and a half ago, now I've never had an anxiety attack since. I mean, coming here today, two years ago, I probably, I'd have been paranoid, I'd been hit, overthink and create. And the thing is with anxiety, what happens is, all anxiety is, is negative thoughts. You create a molehill into a mountain. Mm -hmm. So you, you'll probably get this, guys. Do you ever, have you ever been in a situation where you're worrying about something, right? You're creating it and you're going through about 20 different scenarios in your head. You make it a hell of a lot worse than what But I they don't even exist. Yeah. You think, oh, if I go there today, this might happen, that might happen. I get it. Every time I go down London, when Sean wants me down there, and I'm at Euston Station, and I've got to go to the underground at Waterloo, and there's that many people just rushing past me. I get, I, I get panic attacks. I don't like it. You know what I mean? Are you going to get on the right northern line or the wrong northern line? There's like three northern <laughs> lines. Why do fucking idiots have three northern fucking lines? One northern line. It's only one northern bastard town. Fucking <laughs> hell. My psychiatrist says to me, honestly, the, the, she made me aware of this. She says, Derek, do you want me to tell you exactly what anxiety is? All it is, is negative thoughts, either from a past event that you can't get out of your head, or you create situations that don't exist in your mind. And I thought, if I can change, and that's what I do now when I spread the awareness of mental health, it's about changing your mindset to positive thinking. And the way you can do that is healthy diet and exercise. And this will work for you, mate. If you, if you go on a journey, just say, for example, your first step is either see a doctor or set out a structure, get a fitness instructor or something like that. Then you set out your structure and routine. Yeah. Once you've got your routine, then you start your diet. Routine, diet, then exercise. And what happens then is when you follow that over the weeks and the months and you start losing weight, you'll find your mood lifting, you start building confidence. 
and that's what happens that and that's the positive thinking positivity will come from that so for example when you go to work or you do this job and you're in a happy place you flourish you flourish in your job with me it's lack of exercise i don't really eat that much to be fair for a big guy you eat probably the wrong times of night i eat up to three or four o'clock in the morning yeah i'll start it. cooking yeah. And then I have, religiously, I have about five pints of cider a night. Yeah. Do you never find as well when you have a drink, you always eat shit kebabs, oh, pizzas, donna wraps? I've got a lot of speed dial, mate. <laughs> 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 I've got my 12 pound ready always with a, a donna kebab. I get a donna kebab and then I get a, a small medium, small to medium pepperoni pizza. It's, um, like I say, I mean, it's the... When you lose totally control of your mind, you don't care about fame and success or, or, or money or books. It's just, and that's what I'm saying now. And when I do speak now, like I'm getting the opportunity to now, people who are out there that are contemplating suicide, I understand that these people, people say, oh, you're selfish. It's a selfish act. It isn't a selfish act because what happens, you lose control. You're not aware. You're not thinking, oh, I'm going to leave my mum and my dad. The only wing, the only thing you're thinking about is getting the fuck out of here. No more problems. Gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the only thing that you're thinking about. So it's not a selfish act. But these people, these help out there, and people just need to go out, and go and see a doctor. Take that first step to seeking help. If you can take that first step to start of a positive road, and I call it the yellow brick road. It's a big move, isn't it? Yeah, and it is, mate. And do you know what? I get a lot of guys, I'm talking 25 stone bodybuilders, never spoke to a doctor, they don't speak to their wives. They message me on Facebook, private and confidential messages, opening up, and these are big hard men. Because they defeat. men feel ashamed, and I'll tell you why. The reason why men, especially men, feel ashamed is because, right, when you've got a guy who's got a family, got a job, they're the breadwinner. Yeah. They are the governor of the house. They protect the family, they protect his wife. When you get a man, the reason why he doesn't open up to his family is because he doesn't feel like a man anymore. He's opening a Pandora's box to feel him weak. He feels weak, he feels worthless. He, he, he doesn't feel, he doesn't have that powerful role anymore in the house as a man because he's telling his wife, he just feels like oh, I'm not a man anymore, I feel worthless because I've, I've opened up and I just feel weak now. But do you know what? Do you know what, guys? That there makes you a real man. To be able to. Real men speak about the problems. Real men cry. Real men open up. And if people are going through problems out there, speak to your wife, speak to your kids, speak to your family, go to a doctor. Once you make that first move, mate, it's the start of a fucking glorious road because you've got past the hardest part. I was at the doctors last week, actually, and he was saying about my weight and what diet you should put on, because I don't know if you can see, that's my fucking leg. I got water. Swell, is that with the weight? Yeah, water, water retention. And it's fucking it's huge, yeah, isn't it? Give, did you give you water tablets to take away that away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the um, <clears throat> thing is with them, you're up every hour on the hour pressing. Yeah. I would advise for you, when you start, if you want to start your fitness regime, start with power walks. Power walks. And it, Fucking it, hell, takes me all the time to get up these bastard stairs. Great, it's great for exercise. <laughs> yeah. I would advise. I mean, what? I mean, I went through a stage. I don't know if you ever get this. Do you ever get insecure? Yeah. When you're overweight, you don't want to go to a gym. No. Because you see all the guys in shape with good bodies, and 
men won't admit this. Don't like looking in the fucking mirror. No. I walk past the no. mirror like that. Men won't admit this, mate. You look at other men and you feel insecure and paranoid. I and then you don't go through your head, how can I live up to that? I haven't got a body like that. And it, it, it gives you all these negative thoughts in your head. So what I advise to people that are overweight and don't want to go to the gym, when I was got overweight, I started doing nighttime cardio. Yeah. When it was dark, when no one was around, I'd put a balaclava on, honest to God, put a ballet on, and I'd go and do a three-mile power walk with music in my lugs, and I'd done that for a month, and I'd lost about a stone. And that was just power walking. But the only thing is, the key to losing weight as well, that you've got to diet. Diet's yeah. got to be good. It's no good having fucking fish and chips and then going for a run. I've got to take that fucking side out of the equation. If you can do, like you say, mate, if you set yourself, if you set yourself small goals, yeah, it makes them reachable. Because I don't even go out. No. Apart from coming out and doing this, I, I do the odd job with my dad, kitchen, fitting kitchens. But he's seventy odd now. He really, really works. But every night time, I don't go out. I haven't been to pub years. The only time I go to pub is if I'm going for a meal with the missus. I just sit in the house. It's just, I wouldn't say it's depression, but I mean, it's just, I'm comfortable. I know that I can't get in shit in the house, like yeah. sitting in the house, you know what I mean? I know that... You found, like you found a safety net. Yeah. That's your little safety net, mate, your house, you know what I mean? And it's... it's If you set these little goals... It's unhealthy as well, though. Yeah. It has to get like, yeah. out some fresh air. Do you never find as well when you're sitting around all day, you just eat shit? Oh, God, yeah. Makes you hungry, you just want to chomp on fucking bread and toast and cheese, cheesy beans and You're going to so fucking ass from sitting down, you know what I mean? Sat in the same place for fucking hours. I just think if you set little goals that are reachable... Cheesy beans is nice oh, though, aren't they? Cheese on mashed potatoes. I, used to oh. like. I like that. Cheese on mashed potatoes. Um, first goal for you, mate, is cut the cider out. Yeah. I mean, I would do things I would do things in order. Don't do it all at once because you're sick in yourself and you say, fuck this, I can't be bothered. Start with cutting the cider out. Mm -hmm. After maybe two or three weeks, I've had no cider for that. Then start your exercising, your little power walks. And you set yourself maybe a, a two-year plan, but little goals each time. Once you reach that goal, then set another little goal. If you do a too big of a goal, you're not going to get there, mm -hmm. and you're going to be like, ah, fuck it, I'm going to fuck it, the diet off, I can't be bothered with it. I appreciate that advice, man. Because they say a lot of people who are depressed, they don't want to move, like they'll just sit on the bed in the fetal position, and think those thoughts are going round. But you're saying the physical movement changes the mental. It releases endorphins. And the thing is, a lot of people, the reason why a lot of people don't want to exercise and don't want to go out when they're depressed is because they're insecure in themselves. They're either overweight or they, they think people are judging them. They won't go to a gym because they feel insecure. And I I've, I've, I, I speak about from self-experience. I, I never used to want to go to a gym because I, I didn't feel like I had a good body. And I used to look at the guys and I'm like, fucking, I look at the, look at the shape of him. I'm not going in there because then you think people in your mind, you're, you think people are comparing you to the other guy, but they're not. It's just a creative thought, a negative thought in your head that you've created yourself. But the best advice for me for people is definitely start some sort of exercise. And if you're too insecure to go out, do the nighttime cardio. That's the power walks on a night. Hood up. You don't want anyone to see you. And that, that really got me going. Like, I mean, gyms have really advanced the past few years. You get 24 hour ones now, can't you? Do, yeah. You've got card and you can just go in whenever yeah. you want. You do, mate. You can, um, you, like you say, personal trainers. You get a lot of personal, a lot of good ones out there. Um, me personally, I'm a qualified PT instructor myself. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's not about training somebody's body. For me, it's about training the mind. 
when you train the mind, the body takes care of itself because the mind's in a place to take care of the body. Because you can't, I mean, it's like for me, if I, if I go into a fight with family problems or depressed, that one loss of focus, I get knocked out. Yeah. You've got to be 100% focused and committed. And that's what I'm saying about with, with the training somebody's mind is build, build the confidence mentally for them. You know what I mean? Train them, do, do, do uh, get a PT. But I definitely think you should definitely start cut the cider out. Just start with that little goal for now. You don't need to exercise yet. Cut your cider out. Once you've done that for about two or three weeks. See some weight come then off. Then start, yeah, see a little bit of weight come off. It'll plant a little seed in your head then. Yeah. Fucking I'm losing a bit of weight here. I'm, now I'm going to start training and it'll work, mate. Trust us. I was thinking about going to Slimming World, you know. It sounds yeah. stupid, but my missus reckons it'd be good because you're doing it as a group. Yeah, group, yeah, you do. You get all the recipes to make and, for the food. Yeah, and, stuff. and when you weigh yourself and you've lost weight and you, you want to lose more the next week, you want to be the best in that group. Yeah. It's like worth competing it, against yeah, each other to yeah, lose weight. Because yeah. they'll do wins at the end of the session. It gives you the gold, lost it? the most weight. And that's that's a good thing with that setting goals, little goals. What's your preferred weightlifting exercises? Um, well, I've always been good at the bench press. My record lift is 180 kilograms. Um, now, and this is me naturally, like I'm natural now. Um, I do a lot of strength and conditioning training. And I've got myself really fit. I can do. I still get about 150, 150, but 300 pound. Do you do straight weights or like machines? No, I do. I do. Uh, I do straight weights. I do. I do mix it up, mate. I do a lot of strength and conditioning with the ropes. Yeah. Battle rope. I do a lot of tire lifting flips with the tractor tire. I've seen that. Yeah. People with big oh, hammers good. in the tires. Yeah, hammers with the hammer. Yeah. Um. I do mostly do lightweight training. I lightweight to failure. High reps. Yeah. I don't lift heavy and I don't do all that half rep stuff. Now what it is, I'm tr- I'm get- getting trained at the minute of a one to one sessions with a, a guy called Paul Benton. He's the UK's strongest man. Wow. He's doing it. And do you know what, see, Paul, he's really, really instilled this new training method into my life. It's not only changed the way I train, it's gave me a positive... I mean, I'm going into my work, I'm, I'm going into acting and my, my life happy because of these new things that he's instilled into me through training. Positive mindset. When you walk through the door today, you would have never, ever thought that you had depression in your life. Yeah, smiling. You're happy. You try. Like, you know, it's. I'm. Do you know what, mate? I'm at. A, I'm in a good place at the minute. That's good. Despite good despite all the, we're going to talk about the social media trolling. I'm in a good place despite what's been going on. Um, it's been the last twelve months has been really hard, especially battling with bipolar and having to battle the, the horrible cyber trolling that I've been going through as well. When I announced I was going to have you on, the trolls started to send messages to me. And I said, look, if you're going to talk any shit about this guy, I want to see police paperwork. Yeah. Because in, in prison, there's people calling each other names all day long. <laughs> and if, if you say something about someone and you don't produce the paperwork, you're going to get the fucking shit beat out of you. The person who says it has usually got something to fucking hide. No, nobody's produced any paperwork. I can't. The thing is, I can't. Like, it's a police investigation at the minute. But I can't mention the names. I, but to be honest with you, I have. I don't know whether you've seen. I've named and shamed some of them on social media. And I've had my posts taken down for bullying the fucking trolls. I'm bullying them and harassing them. They've had my page. They've had my fucking posts taken down. But what happened was um, last year, last February. This, the, and do you know what, mate? This is the, the really emotional part of it. Was 
they started this trolling when my ex-girlfriend was losing a baby. Mm. And the, uh, not many people know this, but when she was losing the baby, they started targeting me. Mm. So, I mean, me, me and my ex, like, you know, like, you know I respect her and, um, you know, but we still, we get, we get on. Um, you coward these shits out, trolls, fucking hell. There's no animosity with me and my ex-girlfriend. Um, she stood by me for a bit. Um, what happened was intimate footage got leaked of me with my dick out. Yes. And uh, as lads do. And um, dirty voice messages, you know, back, you know, WhatsApp voice messages when you talk, when you talk through WhatsApp messenger, um, they got out into the public domain only because I'm in the public eye through the acting. And what's happened is these it's so- two separate things. It's not the same thing. So he's having a fucking laugh, getting his dick out doing windmills. What fucking <laughs> lad hasn't done that for fuck's sake? You know what I mean? And what's happened is is they've ta- they've created a social media page like a hate campaign. Which has gained probably about four thousand followers. Four thousand followers. I swear to God, mate, this is the problem I'm having with the police because the page hasn't been taken down. The police keep saying, "Oh, it's Facebook, it's Facebook." I've reported it and reported it, it isn't getting taken down. I'm not going to mention the page to give them the fucking publicity, the cunts. But what they've done is they've taken the cock video, videos, and they've taken the dirty voice messages. And they've twisted a story saying that I'm a paedophile and I'm a nonce. God I'm a sex offender. I'm a rapist. And you know what, mate? Gullible people actually believe it. People who don't know me actually believe it. I'd love to get out of them by the throat and knock ten balls of shit out of them. Mm-hmm. But the worst thing a man can be called is a nonce. When you're in jail, you know. Nonces and grasses get fucking stitches. Yeah. Or they get killed. And what's happened is... It's just disgusting, isn't it? It is, mate. I produced my DBS... I'll tell you what happened. The trolls contacted Sky TV. Said, you've got a paedophile working for you. I was working on Bulletproof on Sky One, which hasn't been released yet, but it's coming out in a couple of weeks on Sky One. Said, you've got a paedophile working for you. You're trying to lose your livelihood. As Sky, as Sky TV, TV would do, we need, we need a check. Yeah. They'd they done a DBS check and it came back clean, no rec- no no criminal record on sexual offences and stuff. Yeah. So what's happened then is I went on social media. I shouldn't have had to do it, but I wanted to because I didn't want people that didn't know me thinking different to you me. You just wanted to prove it. I went on, showed my check, made a video, showed my DBS check. You know what the bastards have done? Took the video, edited it, and started adding things onto the video. Mm. I swear to God, mate. But I, I have, I've got the real thing. Haven't you got a fucking life? And then what Ooh. happened? Then what happened is I did the check. I did the DBS. So they um, took your DBS that you held up and added things to yeah, it. Yeah, but I've got the real one anyway. And then, uh, but I've got the real one, which is like it's legit. You can tell it's you can tell it's different because you've got some writings different colours and they've got like the black writing. It's like all different colours. You can tell it's fucked up. Sick anyway. Fuckers. Anyways, they um, started targeting my dad, calling my mum a wench. That's Tar- nice. Threatened um, the, the phone crime stoppers to say that they threatened to blow me house up. Did she work in a bar? 
Mum. Yeah, she's Mum's a carer, mate. She works in the dementia unit. That's what a wench is, isn't it? As a barmaid. Yeah, well, look. So, how do you even. But it's in such degrading. How do you start oh, the de- family? Oh, the degrading. My dad, my mum, fr- my mum and dad. My mum's 52, my dad's 58. Your dad has still knocked the shit out of him, probably. And the threat, they've, they've sent a de- the, the sent a death threat to my dad's house two weeks ago saying they're going to blow the house up. Nah, they're going to put a letter bomb through the letterbox so that well, they've had to have the police to the house and fix a, a special letterbox so they can't post anything that's through. That's bad, that. That's bad. That. That's taking trolling too far. But you've got to think, mate, right? Me as a fighting man, as a proud man, you just think this is a bitter pill for me to swallow. Because you know yourself, your first reaction is I'm going to kill these cunts. Yep. That's my, that was my first reaction. I was in London last week, mate. I was doing an audition and I got the phone call off my mum. My mum said, the house has been threatened with a bomb. I'm on the train. You've got to find the main guy, kick the shit out of him, make a YouTube video of it, but then that's, that's you in trouble. But the little cowards, aren't they? Like the people who yeah. hacked, hacked me and the fucking. I mean, I, I, yeah, you can call me fat bastard all you want, on, but doing to, that, to this man's fucking about out of order, especially you know he'd whoop your fucking asses, you know what I mean? And the, the problem you've got as well is he's, he's what, a shit house. What they've been doing, I'll tell you an even worse thing that they've been doing. They've been grooming women on Facebook. They're trying to get women. Listen to this, mate. This is no bullshit. This is fact. The police. I've spoke to the police about it. The police has listened, Decker. We know it's all lies. They're trying to get women to make fake rape allegations against me. Oh my god! Uh, listen, and this isn't bullshit. This is real. This is fucking real, right? If I'm guilty of one thing in life, that's being a womanizer. But being a rapist and a nonce. It's absolute fucking bullshit, mate. And the bottom line is, the people behind the page, you want to see the fucking clip of them, mate. The one that's behind the page pressing the keyboards is a nonce. And he's calling me it. And this is the problem you've got. The ones that are, are the ones that will call. Yeah. To take the heat away from themselves. themselves. Yeah. And, um... I, I, last year, I was accused of being in a criminal thing with my first podcast guest, and similar shit happened with me. Um, I woke up one morning, all my bank information, home address, phone numbers online. I'm fucking getting death threats. All my websites are down. They're calling all the places where I do talks, getting getting my talks cancelled. Because the guy had, as I his guest, he had a problem with him, but he didn't have any internet presence, so I was endorsing what he was yeah. doing. And they said we were trying to defraud people and stolen valor and all this stuff. It just gets fucking so out of control so fast. This, 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 it is, mate. This is what I've been through. I've been going through it for 12 months now. And the police, I mean, I've, I've been disappointed in the Cudbury Constabulary, to be honest with you. But I can also understand the fact that Facebook's America. Yeah. So when they're trying to get a page taken down, it's not happening. Facebook... Well, Pete, I mean, this trolling page are paying to boost their posts, spending money. Facebook are taking people's money, not giving a fuck not of checking. their lives it's ruined. But not just that. They'll allow beheading videos and animal cruelty to trend to 3 million views. Yeah. Yet I post my name and shame these trolls. Gets taken down after two days. It's a fucking disgrace, mate. Because they know how to play the system, and they're just like invisible enemies. That is the frustrating thing. But the trolls, whoever's really behind, well, know your name and addresses. You, you'll get it. Believe me, you yeah. dirty fucking swats. Whoever's behind it have got all the time on the hands. They seem to be on the fucking page twenty four hours a day, posting shit. Cons- I mean, cutting my body out and putting Jimmy Savile's head on it for fuck's sake, slander and defamation, mate. I'm trying to ruin my career. 
But it's it's not just the thing is, mate. I'm all I'm doing is. I'm I bet trying, it was hard for you just to go to the police because fucking. I didn't want to, mate. I told you. I said it took me six months. I didn't want to. Do you know what? But they've been saying, "Oh, you're a grass. You're a grass." I'll tell you what a grass is. A grass is somebody that maybe oh, he's selling drugs. Doesn't make me a grass. Going to the police saying, "Get these to stop saying that, my nuns." No, that's it, not a grass. Or is it fucking grass? They're trying to say I'm a, they're trying to say you're a grass because you're going to the police because I want them to stop calling me a paedophile on Facebook. Yeah. On social media, defamating my name. What they've done now is they've made all these videos about me, posted them on fucking YouTube. So what happens then is when kids, Decker Heggy, want to go and watch my fights, first thing that come up is all this trolling shit. So are you in those videos? Aye. Do you know how to copyright strike them down then? I don't know, mate. I just, I just, if there's anybody watching this, I just want to know how I take all the the bullshit and all the slander off the YouTube because. Kids are watching my videos and they're going in and they're seeing all this shit. Any videos with you in, you can get them taken down quickly through How the copy, do you do through that? copyright strike. So the thing that started the doxing and the hacking against me were some YouTube videos that were posted by somebody. Yeah. And now that person used me in his videos. Yeah. You're probably best selling them off, off camera. Well, anyone like, knows this. The trolls will know though. They you, already know. They know like, fucking ten times more than what I know. Very clever some of the oh, trolls yeah. on computers yeah. and that. That's how, this, that's how they're running rings around us. And we're just fucked for months and there's nothing we could do. You'll um, get yours. Because they're little invisible bastards. If, when you go on your YouTube channel, because you've got your own YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, you no, I, don't, you know I haven't got a YouTube channel actually. I've got my Facebook, my Instagram, and what they've done is these trolls have—they're trying to ruin me on all platforms. They've got an Instagram about me. They've got a Twitter about me. They've got a Facebook about me. They get my nieces and nephews have been getting bullied at school because I'm their uncle, and apparently I'm this nonce. Um, they just target my mum. They've targeted my dad. They've threatened to blow my mum's house up. But these cowardly bastards. People know you know fucking it's bullshit, Listen, don't they? Is it is it one YouTube channel that's got all the, these videos on against it's, you? I don't want to mention. I'll tell you off camera the name, but the right, um, just just is it one or is it it's, multiple? It's 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 a it's a channel that it's just one channel that they've got. I well, if they've got more than three videos of you, they've got about twenty. You can you can get the whole channel wiped out off YouTube because. But, can, but the thing is, but the only the problem we've got is. Free copyright strikes and they're gone. The police need to arrest them because to get the devices because if they're in hold of the, the, the videos, when they get taken down, they can repost them back up again, yeah, couldn't they? The police are useless. police got involved in the situation that I was in. I didn't instigate it and nothing, ever, nothing happened. Uh, if they've taken your copyright three times, what you need to do is just open your own YouTube channel, put, your, put those videos of you on your channel... And yeah. then tell YouTube, this is me, three times, and the channel's gone. This is, you know what it is, mate? This here, I mean, I'm a fighting man. I'm a bare-knuckle fighter. I don't, I don't class myself. I don't go around saying I'm a hard man. I'm very respectful of people, and I help people with mental health. If these, pe these people are doing this to me, and I can fight, you just think of the people that aren't as mentally strong as me, getting social media trolled and committing suicide. It could quite easily happen. I mean, you... You're tough mentally now and physically, and it's bothering you. We wish it'd bother anyone, but there is people who are a lot weaker, and it, it could potentially take their lives. Uh, mate, I've listen. I'm not going to lie. I've con I've contemplated killing myself a few times because 
Don't get, let them get the best no, of you. Def, you know what, mate? I'll tell you one thing now. Nothing, nothing could break me now. Good. Because these bastards sitting behind a computer. Listen, I'll get my day, mate. Yeah. I'll get my fucking day. Whether in the future, if I ever got sent down in the future and I'm in the same fucking cell as the cunts, somewhere, or somewhere I'll cross paths. But these bastards, mate, they need to, they need to go to jail because they've, they've tried to ruin my family, mate. Well, I was I got lucky. I'll keep my eyes out too, and everyone who we have on the fucking podcast, will be giving them the names out. You'll get found out sooner or later, yeah. you dirty little shits. I got lucky because the guy's YouTube channel inspired all that criminal activity against me. His channel was taken down by YouTube because of another case where he'd um, put people inspired by his videos yeah. had put. That his this this person's personal information online, and he got attacked and death threatened and everything, and that's called doxing. So his channel got removed for doxing. So I was lucky because it was just building and building and building yeah. and building. But you're, it's building and building. You you gotta stop it. You gotta stop it somehow. See, I'm, what I'm trying to do is I don't. I need I need someone to help me with this because I'm fucking useless. I'm trying to. You know when you get the blue tick on your Facebook and your Instagram, the yeah, blue to sit in the public eye. Yeah, I'm trying to get that. Because these bastards are creating fake profiles of me, and what they're doing is they're asking people for money. I'm getting messages. You know, like, I'm just get, I'm getting messages daily off people. Decker, is this you? I'm like, well, I'm getting mad because I'm like, it's not fucking me. I'm, you're on my Facebook. It's not yeah. me. They're asking for money off people and that. This is like a targeted campaign. You've you know, got, do you know what else? A they, network of people. Uh, do you know what else they've you? been doing as well? They've been sending my dick videos to kids. That's disgusting. It is, mate. And the police officer that's in charge of the case says to me the other day, that says that this is grooming and paedophilia. What they're doing is actual paedophilia. Yeah. They sent it to me and I was quite surprised that you got a bigger one than him. Because <laughs> it is, it's like a baby's arm. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only, the only, the only, do you know what, mate? Thanks for that. <laughs> the dick video hasn't really bothered me. What bothers me is the fact that my family have to see it. That's the only embarrassing thing Lads about do that it. all the time, man. Fucking hell. It's a regular thing of a weekend. Go to nightclub and do windmills, isn't it? Who doesn't? You know what I mean? It's just banter, isn't it? You watch Naked Distraction, they're always doing windmills, and this one was doing a whacker whacker. Yeah, but you know, know what it was? I'll tell, you what, 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 I'll tell you what's made it worse, right? I'm on a train, coming back from a fucking... Like, coming back from a place. I'm in the toilet with the door locked, and I'm having dirty talk with a bird. I'm swinging my cock about in the toilet to her. They're wrong with that. But because it's on a fucking train, they've made it out that it's a big, massive thing. Oh, you're a fucking nonce. There's people on public transport. The door's fucking locked. I mean, my own bit of privacy. It's just banter. It was just lad banter that's went fucking wrong. And these bastards have got hold of it. And now I'm fucking Jimmy Savile. You're lucky you can fit in there, man. I tried to have a shit in one of them the other week. Fucking hell's fire. I just had some old in it. <laughs> fucking tiny. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried having a shit? Have you ever been on the bus like the long coaches where you the fucking yeah, moving? Yeah, you have to go to the back and it's moving. Hell. You got blue <laughs> blue stuff moving like that and shit. But away from all the negativity and that, guys, I've um, got a couple of films coming out this year. I've got. I was. I played a little bit of a part in um, Oliver Twist with David Walliams, Michael Caine, and Rita Ora. And uh, I just did a gangster movie with um, I was I was on set for five weeks down in Dover with uh, you heard of James Cosmo, Game of Thrones, a Scottish actor. Mm. You'll, you'll know him if you see him. Really big actor. Did a gangster movie with him, um, like a Bollywood, like an Indian UK Bollywood gangster thing. Did you have to dance? 
No, no. I'll tell you one thing, that I, I got Get sick. your dick out. <laughs> no, i tell you one thing, I got fucking sick of seeing the sight of fucking Rogan Josh. Rogan Josh. Ooh. For breakfast. Ooh. I said, go, oh, guys. I said, oh, I said, no, I'll get my fucking poached eggs and my porridge. Well, do you actually eat curry for breakfast, yeah? Yeah. I don't. I don't mind curry. I like chicken. I like chicken korma. There. Yeah. I like korma, not every day. Do you, do you not eat out like the hot curries? I've, I've got. I've had. I used to like hot curries when I was younger, but never enjoyed it. You, you, you did ask for a vindaloo. You just sweat it, and you yeah. didn't. You, you didn't really taste it. You just burned your fucking gob. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like now. I like a korma. I like a chicken tikka masala. Something you can taste. Yeah. So let's finish on your craziest stories then. Craziest stories? Yeah, what's the craziest story from your entire life? We'll start with that one. I think we just had that in it. We're fucking, everyone's saying he's a fucking paedophile and shit. <laughs> Get out. swinging my dick about. <laughs> <laughs> um, craziest night of your life. Craziest. The night that I nearly died when I sniffed 28 grams of cocaine in one day. Wow. 28 grams? Can you just run us through the day and then, like, what led to that? Then okay, running commentary on sniffing the twenty-eight grams of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> um, where were you at in your life at that point? Oh, Robin Lowe. Two thousand, early two thousand thirteen, in a very low place. Okay. Not giving a fuck. Um, paranoid, absolute. Listen, mate, you'll come on, cut. Had twenty-eight grams. Twenty-eight grams. Whether you've got fucking pissed or you're not, twenty-eight grams. I'm talking. <sighs> Heaven at the time. So you're at home. You've got a few ounces of coke. I was in heaven. And and you, how, how often? I wasn't at home, mate. I was at was at I was at uh, a woman's house. Okay. Uh, I'm talking. I'm talking in the just the full rock of twenty eight grams, just like the full ounce. Fuck yeah. In a rock. So you got the twenty eight grams, and how did you take that in? Did you just like how heavy soft? I was doing a gram at a time. A gram at a time. A, how many minutes in between? Oh, every half hour. Every half hour. 28 snakes. I on that, yeah, yeah. That's where I got the fucking snake from. <laughs> yeah. So as you're feeling that increase in the intensity in the high, does it get to a point where it just doesn't increase anymore? It, it, what it does is it doesn't increase. It keeps you on that level of the highest level. So you're there and you're constantly sitting there, paranoid, curtain twitching. Looking out the curtains, every time you hear a little knock on the door, who's that, who's that? Just going through this whole... F- and you know what? The, the best I can describe it is it was just... Uh, probably could have been sectioned as well. Oh, I don't feel it. I could have been sectioned. I was that... Turning the TVs off. Like, Mate. Fucking... Mate. You'd look at the door. I was door. hearing voices in that. I, was, oh, I, heard, yeah. I heard women speaking. It was in my head. I was hearing voices, mate. Honestly, I'd like the TV. I felt like the TV was talking to us. Fucking what, mental. What was it, it saying? The TV. I'm just saying, you fat bastard. And you said you were looking at the curtains. Did you think it, the police were coming or right? Every time or... I heard, every time I heard a siren, yeah, I thought the police were coming. Like the siren would be like two miles, and you can hear it just a little bit in the distance. But you know what? See the cook. It makes you aware. Yeah. Of everything, you're like, you're aware of everything. So that little bit of noise I could hear. Who's that? Who's that? It was written. That was the last ever time, and I nearly died. I collapsed. You ended up collapsing. Yeah. Did they take you to hospital or anything? Yeah. Then? And what did you remember? I just woke up, and I just you know your nose is all blocked and mm. couldn't couldn't sniff up and just couldn't constant covered nose bleeding. Yeah. Just blood. Have uh, you done some damage here then? Well, 
Even, listen to this. I went to the doctors two years ago with nasal problems. Mm, I went to that doctor's thinking I have fucked my nose through sniffing. It wasn't the sniffing, the doctor said. He put a scope up my nose. It was from getting punched. So it's knocked the wall in. So I've got like a bad sinus, you know, on that side. And then I got addicted to that. Have you ever had that um, Sinex stuff that you put up your nose? Yeah, yeah. I got addicted to it, didn't I? You put it up your nose, but then if you put too much up, it could break right back in your mouth and you get yeah. that taste. Yeah, well, I got addicted you? to two, yeah, for that cause to, to constant, because what, what happened was in, because my nose was always blocked, I kept getting anxiety, thinking I couldn't breathe. It's a horrible so feeling, you, that. Yeah. I've got fucking, that's why I, I didn't sniff coke, I, I'd fucking turn it into rock and smoke it. We could just simple fact that I could hardly, you know, I just you never get anxiety stuck. with that, like thinking you can't breathe yeah, sometimes? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I've, I've got the fucking Sinex and I've got one in every room and I've also got the, the, like, the... I've got the spray one where you spray it and I've got the, like, little cap thing as well where you put up your nose like that. Yeah. We used to like the Vicks inhalers up our nose when we were on Eden. Yeah. Denny's, Denny's into your... You got the gym or Sean or not? Yeah, yeah, that's my drug now. Um, Like, I try and do a fitness class nearly every day or yeah. every other day. Whole variety of things. Do you feel that? Are you feeling like, especially when you come to work now and stuff, do you feel like you, you've got like a bit of a spring in your step? I do. I feel like I've got a natural energy. I don't drink alcohol anymore. don't do drugs. And he calls me the robot because I never stop. Does martial arts? Well, it's a, what is it, combat? Um, I do karate down south. I was doing it for, for about eight, seven or eight years. Yeah. Um, just do more like the aerobic stuff, like body combat, body pump. It's good, uh, Tai Chi, like it's a good meditation as well, Tai Chi. I'll do a lot of yoga. Yeah, yoga. And meditation. Yeah, uh, I like, do you know what, mate? Yeah. I want to take yoga up. Would you recommend it? Yeah, have you, have you heard Joe Rogan? He's always raving yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, I think, especially if you've got like sports injuries or if you've got, you know, just get, get all your muscles relaxed yeah. and because that relaxes your brain as well. I'd definitely advise you, though, if you definitely take up the fitness side of things. I need you to. You will feel your life improve, mate. Because it's just like I say, coming up the fucking stairs, I'm like, <sighs> and it's just you know. walking, even at home, like fucking going up and down but the stairs. But joking, you mate, you'll, if you lose about six or seven stone, you'll feel 21 again. I need to drop it. I do need you to will drop feel, it. You will feel good. When I got out, it was about 19 stone. And it's just sort of, it, it got to 22. And I thought, oh, it'll go down. And I kept on weighing myself, weighing myself. And it fucking. I got it down to 19. I so thought I had. But what it actually was was my scale had only go to fucking 19. So I'm weighing thinking of 19. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going up and up and up and up and up, you know what I mean? I got finally went to Sports Direct and got a scale. Just one for 5.99. And it weighs up to 30 stone. It's like one of the glass ones of Sports Direct on it. And I weighed myself the other day and it was 25 stone 12. I need to drop. Do you ever worry about getting like diabetes and high blood pressure and stuff? I just worry about it at the night time, it's, especially when my nose is blocked and I'm out of breath. It's like, I feel like I can't breathe. feel like you're going to die. Yeah, it's a horrible fucking feeling, it is, mate. mate. That's, that's anxiety. It's that's, fucking that's, horrible. That's that, that what you've got there, mate. That's, that's already a seed planted in your head. Yeah. So every time you every time you can't breathe automatically... I'm going to die because you, you just feel it. So all your mind now is around your body. I won't even lie down flat. I have about five or six pillars. I prop myself up because yeah. I think... I could imagine you a lot plays in your mind to do with your weight. Yeah. You just... probably won't speak about it. You probably just keep it bottled up inside. <coughs> well, I just think I should do something about it. But then as I'm saying that, I'm pouring a fucking pint of cider. 
You know what I think? They make, they see them thoughts that you get, turn them into actions. Trust us, mate. You will. For, I mean, this guy will tell you, goes to the gym, works out, you feel a lot better than yourself. You'll be a lot happier. Because I've well. never been thin. I've always been around 19. I even went to school. I was about 18 fucking stone when I was 16. But I've never been this fucking fatty. I've never been this first big. goal is to get off the cider. Yeah. Second goal, to start a little exercise, you know, walking. But you're not gonna don't go straight into a gym. Lose mm. a few stone before you do that first. Yeah. Build your confidence up. Maybe then get a PT because you get a lot of. I good do PTs. need to. I, I need to drop a good few stone before. You I live in Liverpool. Do you live here? No, well, off green round the corner really. But Tyson Fury's um, personal trainer works in Liverpool, doesn't he? Does he? Does he? Christian, yeah. Well, my friend, the dentist that I'm going to see about my teeth. He, he trains in the same gym as Tyson Fury's um, really? personal trainer, yeah. Chat's going to beat him up, isn't he? <laughs> I've seen that on, I've seen that on the uh, video. We'd love I, to get... I said Adele <laughs> from behind. <laughs> We'd love to get Tyson on the podcast if his people are watching. You won't believe how many people are fucking going on about that, though. Oh, well, you know what? Fury had whooped Chat's ass and all this. and People just took things too fucking serious, you know what I mean? Do you know what? It's, it's you, see, when you plant a seed, it fucking it just goes out there, mate, doesn't it? I could make a challenge to someone now, it'd fly out, deck and egg is challenging him. No, I'd uh, I'd never, I'd never ever challenge anybody, me. Never ever make challenges to anybody. Watch out, Fury. Right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I've enjoyed being here, lads, and you know, it's given us the opportunity to kind of like speak about things and. But like I say, if there's anybody out there suffering mental health problems that are really, really in a dark place and they find no way out. I think you should really take up counselling because you've got a good soothing voice about you. Yeah. And it's you're nice to listen to. Well, people look I mean? at me, tattoos, big lad, they think I'm a big evil cunt. Once I open my mouth, mate, I'm I'm pleasant and I'm I've got a gentle approach about myself. You've got a really good energy. Yeah, good, yeah. Really like good energy. Mate. I yeah, realise yeah. that right away. So there will be people watching this who have got issues. So what would you like to say to them? And can people contact you? We'll put all yeah. your links below, but at what you preferred way. Positive, not negative you. shit, please. I've got a, uh, well, the trolls can go and fuck the cell. The, uh, <laughs> on my, I've, got my, I've got my personal Facebook, which is now a page that I can take messages on, which is Derek Heggie, D-E-R-E-K-H-E-G-G-I-E. And I've also got my Decker Heggie official fan page on Facebook, D-E-C-C-A Heggie. Which has got all my mental health blogs, my videos, my inspirational okay. stuff, my fights. And then I've got my Instagram. It's Derek Heggie Official. And um, my message to everybody out there that's suffering is I know what it's like. And, and I, know, I know it's hard to open up and I know it's hard to make that first move. But I do stress now to everybody that's suffering go and seek help. There is help available. Go and see your doctor, pick up the phone right now when you're look, listening to this message, pick up the phone, ring your local doctors and make that first step because I'm telling you now, that first step you make is a positive step and I call it, like I say, I call it the yellow brick road. You are now on that road to positivity and changing your life. It doesn't just change your mind. It has a domino effect. It changes your family life. It changes your job, your work. You, 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 you excel and you're everything. not alone either. There's a hell of, there's a lot of people like it, people and they, like the man says, get help. He's helped me. Just get just get help, guys. Just go and see. I mean, people look at me and they think, I oh, Decker can't suffer. I do, I do. So I still get bad days now. But instead of sitting on my ass and and dwelling on it and thinking about it, I get up and I go to the gym, 
that's my escape. Go to the gym. You know, see, when I've come out the gym, I'm like, fuck, I feel good. I feel great. You know what I mean? It's, um, like I say, but also, um, I'm good friends. I'm good friends with Barrington Patterson. Barrington will probably be watching this. Uh, Baz, these guys would like to have you on the podcast. Yeah, good, he's was, a hard man, Barry. He's a hard man, but I was yeah. charmed watching him. He did an interview on James English podcast, yeah. and um, he's got a real good manner about him. He is. He's a yeah. tough, tough. Even now, yeah. I mean, I've 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 got Baz, Baz on Facebook, and uh, you see him in the gym now. He's training twice a day, five o'clock in the morning. He's in fantastic shape. Wow, at like fifty year old. I mean, you could probably still mix it with the best of them as well. Yeah, you'd love to meet this guy. He's a nice man. He's a very nice gentleman. So, Ducky, you've also got how many books now? I've got The Prize Fighter. It's my autobiography. Yeah. It's available on Amazon or in Waterstones. Okay, so we'll put the links in the description box to The Prize Fighter. And you've got another book, haven't you? No. Just the one book. I'll tell you what I am looking for while I'm on this. I am looking for somebody. I'm looking for a ghostwriter to pen my second book. Hmm. I'm wanting to base my second book around my mental health issue, how I've overcame them, and also kind of to inspire people to read and uh, follow my uh, lead and how to get out of the darkness. Good. I'd like to call the book Out of the Darkness as well. So if any university grads out there who can, can help, or anyone who can help, get in touch. I think that's, we're finished on a real inspirational note. I just want to thank all the subscribers, new subscribers, 400,000 subscribers now on YouTube almost. Brilliant. If you haven't subscribed yet, it is free. The icon is in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. Huge thank you to all the people who've donated on PayPal, Patreon, Just Giving, Subscribe, Star. All those links in the description box. You enable us to keep the podcast going no matter what YouTube does with demonetization. In a studio like this, we have a sound engineer, cameraman. So we're guaranteed to keep them all, all coming for you. Um, huge thank you to all the people who just shared the video, liked and commented. And please put all your comments on what you thought about this today. And if you've got any questions for Decker, put them in the comments below. Yeah. Also, Wildman has got dozens and dozens of videos now on the channel. There's a Wildman playlist down there. If you like people who are not very politically correct, there's hours and hours of content. You will love it. So, all right, well. Cheers from YouTube. Let's give you a hug, man. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Yeah. Thanks, Thank you. Wild man, it's lovely to meet you, mate. You too, bro. Thank you.